happy Wednesday, you guys. How are we doing? I have missed you this week. I miss you guys. I miss talking to you. I miss you every time I leave, but I definitely have missed you this week. I'm excited to be back talking about a brand new case. I do want to say thank you to you guys for all of your love and support on the Vanessa Guillen case that we have been covering. We did the update last week. So if you have not heard that one yet, you can go either before or after you listen to this case. You guys have been really responsive to that case and understandably so, but I just wanted to thank you for all of the support and compassion that you've been showing. It's truly, truly remarkable. So for today's case, as you guys can tell by the title of today's episode, today we are talking about Don Henry and Kevin Ives. This is a very interesting case, one that I had never heard of until one of you had inboxed me at my podcast email, which is killerinstinctpodcast at gmail.com for those who are unaware. You can always email me there with your thoughts, theories, questions, comments, and case suggestions. It really is the easiest way to get in contact with me. But today's case is about 16-year-old Don and 17-year-old Kevin who were hit by a cargo train in Alexander, Arkansas on August 23rd, 1987. And even though this case was originally ruled accidental, it became clear very soon after that these boys were actually the victim of a homicide. So let's just get right on into it today. Donald George Henry was born on September 20th, 1970. I wasn't able to find who his mother was or what his mother's name was. However, his father's name is Curtis Henry. And then you have Larry Kevin Ives, who went by the name Kevin, who was born on April 28th, 1970 to his parents, Larry and Linda Ives. The boys lived in Alexander, Arkansas. Alexander is a very, very small area located in central Arkansas, and while I wasn't able to determine the population in 1987, I thought to give you some context, I would include the population of Alexander in 2011, and the population at that time was about 2,960 people. I want to mention that there are some sources that say the boys were in Bryant, Arkansas instead of Alexander, so if you end up doing your own research on this case, know that you will see sources that said the boys were in Bryant. So I decided to look at how far Alexander is from Bryant and it's about a nine minute drive. So they're not too far away from each other at all. Don and Kevin were best friends. Like I said, Don was 16 years old and Kevin was 17 years old. They were seniors in high school and said to be fairly popular as well. Unfortunately, you guys know how much I don't like going into a case with Without talking about the background of the victims we discussed and who they were before this and what their personalities were like. However, we don't have much to go off of for these boys and we don't have much to go off of in this case in general as far as factual information goes. I think it most likely has to do with the time frame of this case and how long ago this happened and I also think it has to do with the police work in this case which we will get into later. But because we don't have the information about who these boys were prior to all of this, what their hobbies were, or what they like to do in their free time, we're just going to jump right to the night of August 23rd, 1987. Now on this night, Don and Kevin were said to be leaving Don's house to go hunting around midnight that night. Don's house was close to a wooded area that the boys would often go to, and it was also close to railroad tracks. Now what happened once the boys walked out of Don's house that night to this day is still a mystery. 
At about 4 o'clock a.m. on August 23rd, there was a 75-car, 6,000-ton cargo train that made its regular run to Little Rock, Arkansas. This train was over a mile long and was traveling a little over 50 miles per hour. Now, the engineer on the train was a man named Stephen Schroyer, and Stephen said that while he was on the train, he noticed that there was something laying on the tracks as the train was approaching closer to it. And as the train got closer, Stephen realized that what was laying on the tracks were two boys, later to be identified as Don Henry and Kevin Ives. Stephen said that when he saw the boys, they were completely motionless, and Stephen's first reaction was to blow the horn on the train multiple times in attempt to wake the boys up and have them move. He said he also tried to stop the train all in all. However, by that point, it was too late, and Don and Kevin were both hit by the train. Employees on the train called 911 after the accident, and by 4.40 a.m., authorities arrived on the scene. Don's 22 caliber rifle was found laying beside the boys, and according to Stephen, he said that while the train was approaching the boys, he saw a green tarp on top of the boy's body. However, by the time authorities arrived on the scene, the tarp was gone and has never been found to this day, and that is something that we will touch on in a little bit. Now, when authorities arrived on the scene, they determined that both Don and Kevin had unfortunately passed away. They had been hit by a train, and their bodies had been taken to a medical examiner to perform an autopsy. And when they did that, the medical examiner, which is a doctor named Dr. Malik, ruled that the boy's death was accidental. His report stated that both of the boys were under the influence of marijuana at the time of their death, and he stated that the boys had smoked at least 20 marijuana joints and were in a drug-induced coma by the time the train approached them on the tracks, and that is why they didn't get up and move when the horn was honked at them. His theory was that the boys were so incoherent from the drug-induced coma they were in that they laid on the tracks and didn't move by the time the train got to them. Now, no one believed Dr. Malik's theory at first, especially the boys' parents. The boys' parents believed that the boys had been murdered. The parents of Don and Kevin came out and said that neither of the boys participated in drug-related activities, and along with that, they questioned the position that the boys' bodies were found in as well. Both of the boys' bodies were found laying in identical positions. They were both laying parallel next to each other in the same exact way, and everyone found this to be odd because if the boys were under such a heavy influence of drugs at the time, it would be unlikely that their bodies would be found in the exact same way. Along with this, the boys' parents did not believe that they could have slept through the sound of the train horn that the engineer sounded off trying to get their attention. Even if they were under the influence of drugs, their parents believed that they would have heard the horn and at least attempted to get up and move out of the way. Don's father also came forward and said that he thought it was suspicious that Don himself put his rifle on the gravel and didn't care if it got scratched up or scraped up because according to him, Don was very protective and careful with his rifle and wouldn't want it to get harmed in any way. So the fact that he would just let it kind of lay down on the tracks with him was not typical to Don's character. Now, the boy's parents were both completely convinced that authorities needed to look into this case better. They really felt like the police just kind of slapped accidental death on the boy 
boy's case just to kind of get it over with. Like they didn't really want to deal with it. They weren't really looking into any other possibility. So they were really wanting the police to reopen this case, but the authorities were giving the parents a lot of pushback on this. They wanted to leave the case as accidental and move forward, which is when the parents decided to hire their own private investigator. Now this private investigator's first task was to attempt to talk with the police department and look for potential answers through them. However, the private investigator was met with the same resistance that Don and Kevin's parents were met with. Then, five months following the boy's death, the parents held a press conference, and this press conference was held in hopes to get people's attention on their son's case and to also get attention of the police and ask them to reopen this case, and this ended up actually working because the very next day after this press conference, authorities reopened Don and Kevin's case. Now, once this case got reopened, there was a prosecutor by the name of Richard Garrett who had ordered Kevin and Don's bodies to be exhumed so that a second autopsy could be performed. Richard Garrett was all over this case. He truthfully wanted to find justice for the boys and really felt like there was more to this case than what met the eye. So a second autopsy was performed on the boys and this time the results were extremely different. This new medical examiner concluded that Don and Kevin had smoked anywhere from one to three marijuana joints, which is nowhere near the 20 that was initially assumed by the first pathologist. And this new medical examiner said that even if the boys had smoked 20 joints, they still would not have been in a drug-induced coma. It is very unlikely that you will pass out or overdose on THC. It's not impossible, but it is very unlikely. It was also revealed that Don and Kevin would have needed over 4,000 times the amount of THC that was found in their system in order to pass out. This new medical examiner also concluded that there was evidence that proved that one of the boys was already dead by the time the train had hit them and and the other had been unconscious. And then in July of 1988, the boy's case was switched from accidental to probable homicide. Now this was very interesting. This whole second autopsy really changed the game obviously because now it switches this case from being an accidental death to a probable homicide. And it really makes you wonder why these autopsies were so different from each other, the first one and the second one, how the second autopsy showed that the boys would have needed over four 4,000 times the amount of THC that they actually had in their system in order to be unconscious and pass out from smoking joints and how the first autopsy claimed that the boys had smoked over 20 joints. It's just there's so many inconsistencies and it really makes you wonder where is the disconnect? Why are they so different from each other? Now after hearing the results of the second autopsy, Richard Garrett's next focus was on the green tarp that I had mentioned earlier. Like I mentioned before, multiple people on the train said that they remembered seeing a green tarp laying over the boys' bodies as the train was approaching it. However, once authorities arrived on the scene, the tarp was gone and has never been found to this day. The engineer of the train, Stephen, said that when he told police about the green tarp that he saw laying over the boys' bodies, authorities refused to believe that it was real or that it ever existed and really just brushed it off completely. In 1988, Stephen made a comment regarding the tarp, saying, quote, that to me would be like questioning the existence of the boys on the track, because what's real is real, and what's not is not, and it was there as well as the boys, 
end quote. Now, in essence, what he's saying is that he felt the police questioning him about seeing this tarp laying on the boys is just as equivalent to them questioning the fact that he saw the boys in general, because according to him, he saw the boys and he saw the tarp, which is why he's saying what's real is real. Like the boys were real and the tarp was real. Now, regardless, to this day, this tarp, like I said, has never been found. And you would think that if the boys were hit by a train and the tarp was covering them, the tarp would either fly off and be found elsewhere near the bodies, or at the very least, there would be bits and pieces of it found somewhere if it had been ripped apart when the train hit it. However, that is not the case and it has never been discovered. So we really don't know about this one, but what I will say is I find it odd. Like, there's no reason for this engineer to be lying about a green tarp. It's an odd detail to add if it is not true, and what does Steven really gain by saying that there was a tarp there when there wasn't? But you guys can let me know what you think about that. Now, at this time is when things in this case ended up taking a turn, because a third and final autopsy was performed on the boys per the request of Richard Garrett. And in this third autopsy, the medical examiner found evidence of multiple multiple stab wounds on Don, and when Kevin's body was examined again, it appeared that Kevin had been struck over the head by what the pathologist believed to be the bottom of a rifle, similar to the one that Don had with him that night. Now, based off of these two findings, the boy's death was switched from probable homicide to just straight-up homicides. Now, again, same as the first and second autopsy comparing those two, I wonder why these findings weren't discussed in the first and second autopsy, how a stab wound, multiple stab wounds, and what appeared to be blunt force trauma or getting hit in the back of the head by a rifle was looked over. No one saw that. No one picked up on that. It just, it blows my mind. It really makes me wonder why? Like, what was the difference between the first autopsy, which claimed that this whole thing was accidental, and then the third autopsy, where now we're finding stab wounds and head injuries? It just really blows my mind. But six weeks following the reopening of Don and Kevin's case, Richard Garrett was doing some research and discovered that there had been a very similar scenario to Don and Kevin that had happened several years prior to their death. In 1984, 26-year-old Billy Hainline and 20 21-year-old Dennis Decker were found lying over train tracks in Hogden, Oklahoma, and they had also been struck by a train. When an autopsy was conducted for both the men, it was discovered that they did have some drugs and alcohol in their system, as their blood alcohol levels showed that they were near the legal point of drunkenness. But it's important to point out that they weren't even past the point or at the point of drunkenness at all. They were just almost at that point, so they were just kind of very buzzed or very tipped. The county coroner ruled these boys' deaths as accidental, saying that the men most likely just fell asleep on the train tracks. However, the medical examiner ruled the manner of death for these men as unknown. The case was reopened in 1985, however, it is still unsolved to this day, and there were never any potential suspects named in Billy and Dennis's death. And what Richard found very interesting, almost most interesting, in comparing these two cases is that Billy and Dennis's bodies were found 
found in almost the exact same positions as Don and Kevin's bodies were found in. Like I said earlier, both boys were found laying identically parallel to each other, right next to each other on the train tracks. And if these boys were under such incredible influences of drugs and alcohol, you would think that their bodies wouldn't be so identical. You would think that one would be lying one way, one would be lying a different way. It's very, very, very rare in general, let alone when you're intoxicated or under the influence, that you're just going to lay completely straight, completely flat, facing up. And it's unlikely for one person to do that, let alone two. So that was a really big red flag for Richard Garrett, for sure, in this case. Now, the police work here was absolutely embarrassing. The sheriff of the police department, a man named Sheriff Steed, actually refused to allow any funds to be poured into this investigation of Don and Kevin's death. He wouldn't allow any funding, and along with that, the sheriff had never sent the boys' clothes that they were wearing the night of their deaths to the FBI as he had claimed to. Right after the boys' death, he said that he was going to send the clothes to the FBI for further examination. However, that never ended up happening, and he ended up sending them to the Arkansas State Crime Lab instead. Luckily, Sheriff Steed was not reappointed the sheriff position, and he was removed from the boys' case once this information came to light. So that, along with the fact that the authorities basically ruled this death as an accidental from the get-go and then moved on completely without really looking at the evidence of foul play, which we see a lot. A lot of times we see cases where police will be so dead set on the outcome that they won't even begin to consider looking into the other possibilities of any other outcome because they think that either they are right or they don't want to do the work or they don't want to have to, you know, there's money involved, budget, whatever, anything like that. And then ultimately the outcome that they didn't look into was the one that ends up being what happened. We see this a lot. We've covered cases a lot where this happens. And what usually happens in situations like that and like this is because authorities will sometimes be so quick to jump to the conclusion, they won't fully look through all the evidence that they need to, and they won't take the time to be detailed and diligent through their investigation. Because of that, it leads to a lack of information and evidence because it was never really looked into in the first place. And that's what ended up happening here. By not looking into the case thoroughly enough and by not being detailed and by not looking into all possibilities, it really contaminates evidence because they're not following proper protocol. So at this point, we have two young boys' bodies found lying parallel next to each other on train tracks together with after three autopsies, one of the boys was found having stab wounds and the other was found being hit over the head with what appeared to be a rifle. Okay, we're going to take a short break, but we will be right back with more of the Killer Instinct podcast. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. All right, you guys, welcome back. 
So obviously this is not the case of two boys who smoked 20 joints and laid on the tracks and couldn't get up. And if things couldn't get any more suspicious, there were multiple deaths that were connected to Don and Kevin's case. There was a man named Keith McCaskill who was an informant for the lawyer of Don's parents. Keith was asked to take aerial photos of the crime scene, which was the train tracks. However, not long after that, Keith was found murdered. On January 22nd, 1989, there was a man named Greg Collins who was planning on testifying to a grand jury of the boys' trial. However, he was also murdered. Then, in March of that same year, a man who had been subpoenaed had gone missing. All of these people's deaths were ruled a homicide and to this day are still unsolved. So you have all these people who were connected to either the boys' trial or the investigation who mysteriously were murdered. There is absolutely no way, I'm sorry, there's not, there is no way that that is just a coincidence. It's just, there's no way. So with this all being said, like I said, we don't have a lot of information on this case. There's not a lot of facts because this case wasn't handled properly and it's what's really frustrating. When I was doing my research, I kept digging and digging and digging for more, but there wasn't any more out there. I was just sitting there wondering to myself, like, how could this be it? How could this be all we know about this? And to this day, it's still unsolved. And I guess that's the reason it's still unsolved is because there is so little information out there. But with that being said, let's talk about some theories because there are multiple in this case. So one big theory in this case is that the boys had stumbled upon a drug deal, essentially seeing something that they weren't supposed to see and whoever was organizing this drug deal decided that they needed to murder the boys in order for them to keep their mouth shut, essentially. Richard Garrett has said that this area that the boys were in was a hub for drug trafficking and there's actually been a former wrestler named Billy Haynes who has come forward since the boys' death and said that he was involved in a drug trafficking ring in Arkansas in the late 1970s through the 1980s. Billy claimed in a videotaped statement that one of the men in the trafficking ring had given him cocaine to distribute to people through the government, and that in the 1980s, he was introduced to a politician drug dealer from Arkansas. Billy claimed that this politician drug dealer asked him in 1984 to murder David Kennedy, who was the son of Robert Kennedy. Billy also said that in August 1987, which was the same month and year that Don and Kevin had been murdered, he said, quote, I was contacted by the Arkansas criminal politician and was asked if I would provide muscle at an Arkansas drug stop. The criminal politician suspected that some drug money drops were being stolen, end quote. Billy then went on to say that while conducting security during a drug purchase, Billy witnessed the murder of Don and Kevin, and that the people who murdered them were also working for the same criminal politician that he was. After coming forward with this information, Billy met with Linda Ives in 2016 and gave names of everyone that he knew that was involved to her private investigator. Now, this theory does make some sense to me, I will say, partially for the reason that this area of Arkansas was a big drug trafficking hub, and also for the reason that wooded areas are often used as drug sites. It's not uncommon. They're hard to find, and they're not easy to point out, and if the boys were trying to hunt at a very late hour of the night, and they were walking through the wooded area, it's very possible that they could have come across something that they weren't supposed to see, especially if you're dealing with a politician drug 
dealer. No politician is going to want their identity to be given out into the public or have it known that they're involved in something like this. This is not something that a politician would want out into the public. So if the boys were walking through the woods and came across this, I could see it going south very quickly. And they just decided to put the boys on the tracks because they knew that they would be hit by a train and it would all kind of go away from there. So now we move on to the second theory. And the second theory in this case comes from a witness who said that a week prior to the boy's murder, there was a man dressed up in military clothes hanging around near the train tracks. This man was not someone that anyone in the town knew. And because of that, like I said, this was a small town. Everyone knew everyone. So because of that fact, a police officer actually approached this man to try and get a feel on the situation. And when he did this, the man actually took out a gun and open fired on the police officer and ran away. Now, a week later on the night of the boy's deaths, the man was reportedly seen in the same area around the train tracks again and headed down a road near where the boys were hit by the train. However, to this day, this man has never been identified or found. Now, I will say my only problem with this theory, because when I first heard about it, you know, I was thinking and thought, okay, maybe this could be something, but then I thought about it a little more and I realized that this would have had to be two against one, Don and Kevin against this one man. You know, one of the only ways I can see this happening is if this man snuck up behind Kevin and hit him over the head with a gun and then stabbed Don when it was a one-on-one fight. But then you have to think this man had to then drag both of the bodies onto the train tracks and position them. And look, it's not impossible. This definitely could have happened, but I definitely think it would have been a lot more work for one person to go after these two. You also have to wonder motive in this situation. With the drug theory, there's a clear motive, but with this one, why murder the boys? There was no evidence of sexual assault, no evidence of anything that was taken off of the boys. So what was it that made this man decide to murder the boys if that's the route we're going down? There is another theory in this case, and that is that the boys' murder was a part of a police cover-up and that the boys witnessed something by the police that they weren't supposed to see and because of that, that's why the investigation was so mediocre and subpar and the police did such a terrible job looking into everything. Now, to me personally, this theory doesn't really have much to back it up. There really isn't anything pointing to the idea that this was a police cover-up besides a mediocre investigation and that's just not enough to prove that authorities were in on this. So personally, I don't believe that this theory has much to stand on. But again, because of the lack of information, it really does lead to an endless amount of possibilities as far as theories go. There really are so many theories that you can pull for this just because of the fact that there's not a lot to go off of. So you can really, you know, make up a lot of theories. And that honestly is where cases struggle. Because even though it's so great to think about all of the possibilities and leave no stone unturned and to look at everything, when you throw in endless amount of theories, it can kind of overpower the case and overwhelm it and it takes a while to really narrow through everything and kind of weed out the bad ones to get to the ones that actually have substance. Like I said, as far as my theories go, I think that if we're just looking at these three theories, I think the most probable is that Don and Kevin stumbled upon a drug deal that they were not supposed to see and because there was someone of a higher power, meaning like a politician involved, it could very easily have led to them being murdered 
murdered because they needed to keep their mouth shut and they saw something that they weren't supposed to see. So the people involved decided to murder them. I do think, you know, as far as the joints found in their system, the marijuana joints found in their system, I think that they probably were smoking. You know, it's not the most outlandish thing to realize. You know, their parents said that they didn't involve themselves in drugs, but teenage kids do a lot behind closed doors. So it's very possible or it's possible, you know, if we're just kind of like thinking about everything here, that the people who were involved in this drug deal offered them joints and wanted to get them high in order to attack them and have it be an easier process, if that makes sense. Like get them high, have them more comfortable around them and then end up murdering them. You know, it's, it sounds awful. It is awful, but you know, that definitely could have happened as well. The one thing that does confuse me on this case is the Dennis and Billy similarity, how Dennis Decker and Billy were found basically in the exact same situation. I would be curious for a second autopsy to be done on those boys to really look again and see what the possible causes of their death was. Like I mentioned, the county coroner said that it was accidental, but the medical examiner himself would not say it was accidental. He said it was unknown. So I'd be very interested to have a second opinion on that. That way we could get a better understanding and see if there's similarities, because if there are similarities there, this is much bigger than just a possible drug deal gone wrong. Like I said, their death took place in Oklahoma. So it wasn't like they were in the same town and they saw the same drug deal and the same thing happened, it would just be, I'd be very interested to see if anything could come from that because I think a lot of interesting information could derive. And I also think it could almost answer the questions of each other. Like some of the answers that you would get from the Billy and Dennis autopsy could possibly help answer some of the questions in the Don and Kevin case as well. So I know there aren't a lot of facts and evidence in this case. However, regardless, I still am very interested to hear what you guys have to say about it. Like I said, I personally do believe that the boys were murdered. I do not think that this was accidental. I think the boys were murdered just by who was the question. This case is still unsolved. No one has been, you know, charged or held accountable for the boys' deaths. So I wanted to enter a um, phone number that you guys could call. And this is the Arkansas Police. And the number is 501-618-8000. Again, that's just 501-618-8000. You can also email them at info at asp.arkansas.gov. And if you don't want to do either of those things, you can always, always, always call the anonymous tip hotline. Your identity will be remained completely anonymous if you are worried about your safety or the safety of others. You can always call the tip lines, the anonymous tip lines. You will remain anonymous. So if you, for whatever reason, know or know someone who was responsible for this or have a piece of information, maybe you don't even think it's important, just please reach out because this case still is unsolved and these boys were murdered. So with that being said, you guys, thank you so much for tuning into another episode of Killer Instinct. That's going to be it for me today. Make sure you go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. I would love to hear your feedback. Like I said in the beginning, if you have any comments, theories, questions, or case suggestions, you can email them at killerinstinctpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's just killerinstinctpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. I will see you next Wednesday. And until then, stay safe, guys.